Park it, plug it, profit. Did you know sustainable-minded companies could earn upwards of $8,000 per summer just for parking one EV at specified times? In this Greenlight episode, I will speak with Claire Boyder-Johnson, who was recently hired as COO at Fermata Energy, about all things V2G or vehicle to grid. Claire is well known for having founded Sun Edison alongside Jigger Shaw, as well as having deployed $11 billion of the stimulus package during the Obama administration. Fermata Energy was the first company to have a V2G bi-directional charger approved by Nissan for use with the LEAF in the U.S. And I can't wait to see what they're able to accomplish under Claire's leadership. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO, and today I have with me Claire Broidio Johnson, Chief Operating Officer at Fermata. I believe joining me from Baltimore. Yes, ma'am. Yes, just up the street. (laughs) Uh, So first, I wanted to say congratulations on your relatively new role as COO of Fermata. And so for those living under a rock for the past sort of couple (laughs) decades... Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your current role? (laughs) Sure, absolutely. My name is Claire Broido Johnson. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Fermata Energy. What we do at Fermata Energy is our V to X or vehicle to everything technology turns electric vehicles into energy storage assets that combat climate change, increase resilience, and dramatically lower the cost of EV ownership and energy transition. It's a lot of words, but essentially we're trying to make battery storage on wheels so that we can help with handling the several gigawatts of dispatchable capacity that need to come to the grid in the very near future. And prior to that, I've had a lot of startup roles. I've worked at Katera Energy, Next Step Living, Serious Energy. I deployed about 11 billion of the stimulus package during the Obama administration. And prior to that, I founded Sun Edison with Jigger Shaw. Can you briefly describe exactly what Fermata Energy does? So I know you've just touched on it a little bit, but what is it focused on within the EV space? Sure. So Vermont Energy was founded about 10 years ago by David Slutsky and John Wheeler. It was founded to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles on the road and the transition of renewable energy on the grid. So basically, we're the leading vehicle to home building and grid or vehicle to everything solutions provider. So we've earned UL certification for a bi-directional DC off-board charger, which means that your electric vehicle can both get charged from the grid, but can discharge to the grid. We have no aspirations of being a hardware manufacturer long-term. We are a software company that, because no one else was able to make bi-directional chargers, built bi-directional chargers. You know, what we're trying to do is deal with a bunch of different macro investment problems that Mm -hmm. are happening. So the world wants to decentralize and decarbonize the grid. You know, $2.4 trillion to modernize our grid. We want to electrify transportation. 2 million EVs in 2022 will grow to 8 million by 2025, 26 million by 2030. We want to electrify buildings and transportation. So like decentralizing, decarbonizing grid, electrifying transportation, electrifying buildings and transportation, all of that together, we're trying to solve that problem with bi-directional electric vehicles, their chargers, their software platform, and really that, you know, sort of segues into virtual power plants. So. I just bought an EV. I was on a nine month wait list and I just got my EV last Wednesday. I've learned like 
so much in the short period of time that I've had it. Yeah. So I went to the grocery store, brand new grocery store just opened. They Uh have all these chargers and I thought, oh, let me try it. And there was a guy there from Charger Help. And I was like, I know Charger Help. I know right. all these companies. Right. You know, yeah. I was so excited. Semi Connect, I think, was the, the charging. And it didn't work. And the guy said, yeah, it doesn't work because it's underground and there's no Wi-Fi. Interesting. Yeah. So he's like, we're trying to convince them to get a booster because even though I had it all set to go, it, it couldn't talk to each other because there was not a strong enough Wi-Fi signal. Interesting. So this is like fascinating for me because it's like, I'm, uh, you know, this is kind of a big reason I wanted to get an EV to really kind of understand more like the yeah. challenges that, you know, we're having. Yeah. So my question is like, explain to me how m- me as a consumer now of a, a EV, like how can I benefit from Formata? Like, is there an opportunity sure. for me to? Okay. Yeah. So absolutely. So there's a, there is a lot there are a lot of moving pieces and a lot yeah. of things that have to connect with each other, right? So number one, the vehicle has to be bi-directional so that you okay. got to buy a vehicle where it can both charge the grid and discharge from the grid, right? How so do you know that? You look it up, basically. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so right. the first vehicle that was made bi-directional was a Nissan Leaf. Okay. an example, right? You mm-hmm. also need to make sure that you have a charger that is bi-directional. So there's level one chargers, which are the slowest. There's level two, which are a little mm-hmm. faster. There's a, mm-hmm. you know all sorts of different types of chargers. The charger that you need has to be bi-directional as well. So it okay. has to be able to charge and discharge. But to answer your question about how does this benefit a customer, essentially 95% of the time, our vehicles are sitting idle. So right. in that 95% of the time, why not? park it, plug it, profit, which is a little tagline, right? (laughs) So for the 95% of the time you're not using your vehicle, why not enable it so it can discharge to the grid when the grid really needs the power? And of course, as you know, and your listeners know, you know, power is in highest demand, typically in the like 4 to 7 p.m., 5 to 8 p.m., summer hours, July and August. So essentially what we do at Formata Energy is we say, hey, Mr. Customer, there's this demand response event coming up, right? or there's a demand charge management event coming up that we're anticipating, right? So if you agree to park your car from 4 to 7 p.m. tomorrow, July 22nd, we think you're going to make X dollars. And so with a standard Nissan Leaf, we can make anywhere from $2,000 to $8,000 a summer just on one Nissan Leaf. Is that the customer or from the customer, the customer, the customer, the charger can make that much money off of. Whoa. And that is a check from a national grid or an Eversource or an Excel energy. So it's, it, it really is a fantastic operating tool and it really is completely dependent on what the demand response rates are. So the states with the highest demand response, demand charge management rates, these are Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, Rhode Island the four East Coast states and New Hampshire a little bit, and then go West to Colorado and then continue to go West to California. Right. Those are the, (laughs) those are the states with the highest rates where you can make the most money per electric vehicle. Interesting. That is really interesting. And so essentially like that changes the game, right? Because so many people are saying electric vehicles are too expensive. Regular people can't buy an electric vehicle. 
Well, if you're leasing a vehicle and you're spending $700 a month to lease that vehicle, you're making $6,000 a summer and it's really over six weeks that helps pay for most of the cost of the vehicle lease. Right. Yeah. That's incredible. that that, That is the fee that is coming to the customer that has bought the charger and the software and owns the vehicle. Can you make a car bio-directional? Can you retrofit it? Like, could I now take my car if it's not bio You can't. We have to work with the OEMs directly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Though I'm <laughs> really happy to say that almost all of the big OEMs and a lot of the smaller ones have committed to becoming bi-directional, if not in 2023, then either 2024 or 2025. Okay. Okay. So, so the next, coming. There's a the groundswell. I assumed I would get another one in two to three years because the technology is going to be would improve. You know, exponentially better. Yeah, exactly. It's going to get better and there's going to be more infrastructure, right? So, I mean, yeah. you know, one of the questions is, you know, why should you invest in Fermata Energy now, yeah. right? As an example. And the answer to that, to our any investors listening is, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act is pouring tons of money into EV infrastructure. Right. right? And, you know, utilities all across the country are very anxious about electric vehicles because they're right. increasing dramatic demand precipitously. But but the great way to think about this, and there was a good Axios article about it, is that EVs might not just be causing the problem, they could be the solution to the problem. Right. So right. think battery storage on wheels, my yep. electric vehicle, you know, Baltimore Gas and Electric, where I live, can drive X number of vehicles to a substation that's super transmission constrained, right? Yeah. And start solving those problems. It's a different way for utilities to think. They're used yeah. to rate basing new power plants and then getting their customers to pay higher rates for more things. It's a it's a very different way. And it really is the sort of the concept of virtual power plants. You're putting yeah. in smart thermostats, hot water heaters, solar, stationary storage, vehicle to grid, vehicle to everything. You're putting yeah. that all together, which yeah. is going to require some regulatory changes in order for the utilities yeah. to be able to make money on that. Can you talk about some of the examples of Fermata projects you're excited about? I read about your project with Revel as well as your project with New Hampshire Electric Cooperative, which both sound really interesting. So let me give you a couple different examples. A Rhode Island municipal deployment earned $8,000 in two summers. Mm -hmm. So it was a demand response program using our bi-directional charging platform. Mm -hmm. The one electric vehicle and one charger with our platform earned almost $9,000 actually at a municipal wastewater treatment facility versus the Rhode Island Energy Connected Solutions Program. So you're discharging energy in an EV battery pack to the grid at times of peak grid demand right? During two to three hour long events. And one thing that I want to be really crystal clear on is duty cycle, which is when you want to drive your vehicle is literally just another data point in our AI driven data science, right? So just like you're using weather as one data science point, you're using duty cycle. So if you tell us, if you, Mr. Customer, tell us, I want to drive my vehicle from one to 4 PM every day. Great. Basically we'll say, okay, that is one data point in trying to predict and project how much money you're going to save over time. That's one example. There is a car share program at the Alliance Center in Denver, Colorado, which is the first all-electric building in Denver. We reduce demand charge on electricity bills by discharging electricity in an EV battery used by the building during times of high electricity consumption. And then also we have a project with Verizon Ventures New Lab at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, which started in June of 2021. Mm -hmm. created over $3,000 of savings with one EV and one charger 
with peak shaving, reduced demand charges on Con Ed's electricity bill. We've got a whole lot of different examples. And that's one of the things, if your listeners hear anything from this, is these are not just pilots anymore. These are not science experiments anymore. These are places where we've activated chargers and been making money from utilities for several years. Well, I understand utilities love pilots and we love working with utilities, <laughs> but the idea is, you know, we've got lots of installations completed all over the country. And so this isn't a science experiment. We'd love to start seeing the arc of commercializing this at more scale. You had mentioned earlier about LEAF. So Nissan was the first EV manufacturer to announce its approval for the Fermata Energy FE15 charger, the bi-directional charger you were talking about. Yeah. How much money would you say one Nissan LEAF could earn per year for owners by plugging in and returning electricity to the grid during peak hours? So anywhere, it depends on where you are, which state you're yep. in, but anywhere from $2,000 to six to $8,000 per summer, okay. really okay. dependent upon what the demand response rates are. And those keep mm-hmm. increasing. So in Rhode Island, for example, they went from $300 per kilowatt to $400 per kilowatt for certain customer types just this yep. summer. So we're going to increase by, you know, 30, whatever percent. What would you say is the largest challenge that the EV industry faces and Vermont in particular? Is it education? Is it adoption rates? Is it manufacturing? Certainly manufacturing. The fact that lots of people have been on wait lists for a really long time was historically a problem. Nine months. Yeah. <laughs> I see and then, that being- and then my car got to Baltimore and it got recalled. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's in Baltimore for a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that certainly was a problem, but I think we've yeah. kind of gone over that arc. I think education is a big part. I think infrastructure is a big part. So I was driving with my girlfriend from upstate New York down to Philadelphia and we did have to stop and charge, right? Which is okay. You know, it was, it, but you have to schedule and think through, okay, I have to stop and I have to make sure that the electric vehicle charger works and I have to make sure that it's compatible with my car. There needs to be a lot of standardization to answer your question about electric vehicles specifically, to talk about electric vehicles broadly, to talk about uh, Fermata Energy specifically. There's 10 times more storage capacity in electric vehicles on the road today. There's 10 times more than there is stationary storage. And at two thirds of the cost of stationary storage. So really, if if we can all sort of change our mindset, and that's why I'm talking to you and why we're doing so much education (laughs) is like EVs are really underutilized battery storage on wheels, right? right? It's an underutilized asset. Can't we use it to help serve the grid instead of just pull from the grid? I really find this so interesting because I never looked at it that way. And I feel kind of silly for not having looked at it that way because I work a lot with storage companies. I work a lot with EV companies and I never sort of put the two together. And it's just really, really exciting. And there's definitely a groundswell, not only because of the Inflation Reduction Act, but also because the OEMs are realizing this is the future, right? GM made an announcement that they're an energy company. That's like, whoo, mind blowing, right? And the market size projections for V1G, which is just managed charging and virtual power plants and storage and V2G commercial and residential, that's going to be a 30 billion total addressable market just this year, right? Is that in the US? In the US, yes. Wow. In the US. And then there's, you know, dozens of OEMs who are adding bi-directional EVs to their fleets, right? We've got Bluebird, Lion. Phoenix, BYD, 
GMC Hummer, Audi, Porsche, BMW, mm-hmm. Stellantis, Daimler, yeah. they've all made announcements with the Hyundai Ionic. Like they've yeah. all made announcements to go bi-directional by 2024, 2025 at the very Super latest. Cool. It's very clear EVs are here to stay. The federal government wants to pay for the infrastructure for EVs. Bi-directionality yeah. is going to be a part of that. Yeah, no, it's so true because I was so committed to my next car being an EV and I had my eye set on a couple of makes and models and I was like, oh, they don't have EVs yet. So I'm just going to go somewhere else that does because I'm not going to buy another car that is not EV. Right, like exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I just like drew a line in the sand, but these companies have to be careful because, you know, a lot of these brands, especially like we mentioned earlier, BMW, for example, like they mm-hmm. do everything they absolutely can to get you a loyalist for life. Absolutely. Which I did not realize. And so I think based on what I've seen so far with them, it would take a lot for me to probably get another car that wasn't the car I have now. You know what I mean? Like stay in that family. I mean, in the OEM market, I've spent my career in the solar energy and energy efficiency, renewable energy, climate tech space. Mobility is something that's new to me. And and it's really interesting because we're in the middle of two sets of behemoths. One, the utilities who are so ingrained and used to doing things they've wanted to and are so anxious about the idea of virtual power plants because how does that impact my grid and something yeah. is changing and who's moving my cheese? And I worked with the utilities. I worked at Constellation and I worked with Enron and I totally yeah. understand where that's coming from. Yeah. And then there's the OEM side, which is another set of behemoths that you know wants to make money, but they're seeing that customers are asking for something else, right? OEMs don't make as much money on electric vehicles because they don't break. <laughs> right. You, there isn't as much operations and maintenance costs. Yep. There's yep. not as high margins and they're not thrilled about making electric vehicles, but that is certainly the wave of the future. So I know that you became interested in environmental science and climate change at an early age and yep. that you initially wanted to be a physicist. Yes. <laughs> yes how, did you, how did you end up making your way into and succeeding within clean energy and then the EV space in particular? Did you have any key mentors along the way? Great question. So I grew up 30 miles west of Chicago in cornfields, literally. And when I was growing up, acid rain was a really big deal. And I like, honestly, I think my middle school science teacher, I did my science fair projects on acid rain and its effect on a water environment. And I passed legislation when I was in high school about recycling. (laughs) And it's just something that I've really been passionate about my whole life. My just like Jigger, my dad's a doctor and Jigger and I grew up very close to each other um, outside of Chicago. And, you know, I knew I never wanted to be in medicine and I knew I wanted to do something to help people and energy just is really interesting. And so when I went to college, I helped create the environmental science undergrad major that's there. Um, And I've been rolling along ever since. And I've had a lot of changes across my career, but I've started doing risk management consulting. I worked at Enron in the late 90s, went back to business school, no Enron to go back to, wound up at Constellation and was Constellation's first renewable energies originator, which in 2002 was kind of a joke, but I'm, you know, I've been very passionate about it for my whole life, started Sun Edison with Jigger and like have been doing, I worked for the federal government for a couple of years and then really a lot of startup investing, advising, you know, and then on the operations and development side. And it's just, I love waking up every day and trying to solve our climate change problems. 
I know that you've became interested in environmental science, climate change at an early age. Initially, you wanted to become a physicist. How did you end up making your way into and succeeding within clean energy in the EV space in particular? Did you have any key mentors along the way? Thank you for the question. <laughs> so yeah, I've been really passionate about it my whole life. Ever since I was a little kid, I was involved in passing legislation and at my school helped to create the environmental science undergrad major realized that energy is a huge part of the climate change problem and was off to the races and did risk management consulting, worked for Enron, went to business school, no Enron to go back to, which is why I'm based in Baltimore now. I came down to work for Constellation, started Sun Edison and have like been off to the races since. And in terms of sort of advice, I would give people find good mentors. I had a wonderful mentor in college, Mariam Golnaragi, who is a PhD in oceanography, and she's now doing risk management work with insurance companies, the top insurance companies in the world, and how they're going to be involved in the climate change movement. I've been very lucky to know really wonderful people. Dan Kamen was my first boss. He is a professor at ERG, at Energy Resources Group at Berkeley. And I've been, you know, very lucky to find people along the way who have been supportive of me and supportive of trying to solve climate change problems one way or the other. And in terms of sort of how to get into the field, Mm -hmm. there are hundreds of thousands of jobs coming to the climate tech field. And if you want a job, there's one for you. In terms of advice I would give, I would try to think through sort of what day-to-day function are you most interested in? Is it human resources? Is it finance? Is it operations? Is it business development? Is it sales, right? So, and everyone has a unique skill set, right? And then I would also think about what type of organization you want to be at. I originally thought I was going to work for a nonprofit my whole life, but I don't have the attention span of the patients for that. I thought I was going to work for the government. Didn't really have the patience for that either. So I mean, I think (laughs) trying to figure out, you know, are you a startup person? Are you a fortune 500 person who wants to work with a group of, you know, 75 people? Are you, you know, roaring to go and creating things on your own time? There, there are opportunities for anyone that wants a job. There are so many construction jobs. There is so much work to do. And there's so much money with the Inflation Reduction Act and with just the general interest from the private sector of trying to solve our climate change problems, that there's an, there's an opportunity for everyone who wants one. I think it's really interesting what you just said, because I get asked this question a lot by people who are graduating, coming into the industry. I think they get very bogged down by the technology. So they're like, what technology do I, do I want to do solar? Do I want to do wind? And they, I feel like there's this pressure they put on themselves. They really have to understand the ins and outs of that technology to know if that's the direction they want to go. I like what you said, which is let's think about the function first. Absolutely. Then let's think about the org first. Then <laughs> if the technology, whatever the technology is, because you've demonstrated you can work in tons of different technologies, the technology is important, but perhaps not as important as knowing what function and org you are best suited towards. Well, I think it depends on what function you want to be. So if you're right. you know, a mechanical engineer that simply focuses on some, you know, really specific part of a lithium ion battery, that's right. your field, right? right? But I think for most of us who are not engineers, you know, a computer scientist could be in any industry, Right. right. And be solving problems. Right. And we have, you know, two thirds of Fermata Energy are computer scientists, software engineers. Right. Yeah. And so whether they're working on electric vehicle bidirectionality or solar or data science, you know, data science and the AI platform, the UI UX affiliated with that 
having different things talk to each other across different platforms, integrating software, you know, whether you're working on an electric vehicle or wind turbine, the function is still the same. So right. and frankly, that's a rather young question in the sense that like, of course, you want to understand everything about a technology, but you're not going to just right. by studying it. Right. <laughs> At some right. point, you have to jump in and learn about it and, and yeah. go to a company and figure it out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and all the work that you've done. I just have so much respect for you and for the path that you've paved for a lot of us and uh, not just women, but like the industry in general. So thank you. I really appreciate that, Catherine. Thank you for your time and thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry-leading clean tech companies first post new job openings from development to finance to marketing by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.